You're in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast for Saturday. Thanks for being with us today. We are always airing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, noon Eastern. Pleasure to be here with you. Make sure if you're with us on Rumble, it's rumble.com slash amradpod. While you're there, give us a follow, smash the like button. If you happen to be listening subsequently on the podcast streaming services on iTunes or Spotify, iHeart, uh, subscribe there. Make sure you give us a five-star review and uh, and leave a comment. Leave a five-star review. We like to read those. We like to read the comments too as well on Rumble. Uh, I am back and uh, we're going to be running solo again today. Uh, you want to talk about having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Well, you can expect extend that to the entire week for Mr. Garrett O'Boyle. Uh, they had snowstorms in Wisconsin last night. His power is down, has been down for uh, almost like 12, 14 hours at this point. So he's unavailable, uh, but in a pinch, I can I can uh, fill an hour. I am the type of person that can just talk and talk and talk. Garrett's much better listener here. Uh, and I hope that uh, you all are going to be listeners today because we're going to be covering something. Uh, we were originally going to be planning on talking about DEI, but uh, I've had this uh, sort of on my heart and it's been in the news uh, for a number of years and kind of came to a head. And that is why we named today's show Erasable Pen. And if you notice the uh, the title, Pen has two ends because it's a reference to William Penn. And there was a, a hoopla about a removal of a statue that was going to be going on. And that was in the news. There was a big debate over it. We're going to get into that and really the larger theme that is at hand and that issue with that. We've seen over the last few years this push to remove statues of these notable figures in American history and, and how that's problematic. Uh, and I, I went with Erasable Pen because personal anecdote here. I remember being in school when they invented the erasable pen because I had one of these slave driving teachers that insisted that we handwrite all of our reports in pen, in cursive, uh, and no whiteout was allowed. So if you messed up, it was a full rewrite. And then my mom came home one day from the store and she gave me an erasable pen. And that, my friends, was an absolute game changer for me. Uh, but if anybody can recall when that technology first came out, you, you had to be careful because if you pushed down too hard, you couldn't really erase it. It always left a mark. And I thought that that was sort of an appropriate analogy for, for the history of this country um, because we like to leave marks and like to have scars that we can look back on. Never, Nothing's always perfect. Nobody's perfect. Absolutely. There's only been one perfect human if you're a Christian, and uh, and and that ain't me. So we all have scars in our background, and, and countries have misdeeds in their background. You just don't have to look any further than our founding document. You know, we have amendments because it's been deemed over the last couple of centuries that we made and we erred. We made mistakes. We erred, and we had to adjust it. And when we made adjustments, we went back and readjusted. You have the 18th Amendment, which basically prohibited the manufacturing of alcohol in the country, which they undid with the 21st Amendment. They didn't go back and use an erasable pen and just eliminate the 18th Amendment. They left it there so we could have that as a permanent record so we could look back and say that was a mistake 
for our society, and we're going to undo it with a subsequent amendment, the 21st Amendment. It's still in the document for there to preserve a historical record, which is what's always been disturbing to me about this push to eliminate statues and monuments to people who, as I said before, were not perfect, but left a mark on our country and our history that is noteworthy and deserves to be recognized, deserves to be honored. And that really uh, came to a head with the William Penn push because he is someone who has a pretty clean slate. And we will get into his history because we're going to go into history today, folks. Uh, and it's a history that unfortunately is not being taught uh, very often, but I'm going to give it to you in the hopes that it will create a record that maybe you can share with others. And we will discuss that at length. But to set this up, I want to take a step back and look at the history of this push to remove monuments and statues on some fairly prominent and fairly historic figures. And we'll start it there. And uh, with, I guess, the, the original flashpoint person, and that was the Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville. If anyone remembers, it was very early in the Trump administration. Things came to a head. It wound up there was a a protester who was killed. She was run over by a vehicle. And I believe that there was a helicopter crash as well that wound up in the deaths of two police officers. And if if you take him at his word, and I don't, but if you take him at his word, current president, President Biden, said that that incident was the genesis of his desire to run for president because it was such an awful mark on the country that he had to remove Donald Trump from office. He had to run against him. But I want to look uh, at the story, the original story, and and do a just a brief history because I want to use the lion's share of our time today for Mr. Penn. But uh, a brief history on Robert E. Lee, who uh, like him, hate him, he was important, and I think that 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 is always noteworthy. So the original article I want to pull up is from the Guardian, and Robert E. Lee statue that sparked the Charlottesville riot is melted down like his face was crying, and this. Uh, was a few months back, and this is actually after the statue was eventually removed. They went further than that and actually melted it down and erased it entirely from history. Reading from this article, it felt like an execution, said Jelaine Schmidt, co-founder of Charlottesville Black Lives Matter and a professor at the University of Virginia. So good on the people of Virginia for their publicly funded university, which Thomas Jefferson has on his headstone as his greatest achievement. Uh, they now employ a co-founder of a BLM chapter as a professor. And reading further from the article, along with other activities, activists, Schmidt traveled from Charlottesville to watch the melting at the foundry, which organizers only identify as being somewhere in the South out of concerns for the physical safety of the foundry workers, because they thought that those evil, horrible conservatives who thought it was important to conserve our history might, uh, I don't know, burn the foundry down. The melting was the culmination of a years long effort to remove the Confederate statue from downtown Charlottesville. Obviously that wasn't far enough. They had to erase it permanently from history. And uh, like I said before, we'll go give it just a brief history also on General Lee, who, if anyone is a Civil War buff, you realize you know his he, there was a whole history before that. And I've, I've talked about him at length when I've done public addresses, even when I've done helping my older son with his history homework. I think that uh, Robert Lee is a significant person. He's a significant example of leadership. He was a, he served proudly in the American military before eventually serving as the 
second general for the Northern Virginia Army for the Confederacy, and essentially led that. And because of his leadership, that war took far longer than it should have. And because he was such a a, a terrific military tactician, he was able to to keep the the Union Army on its heels for a number of years before ultimately the weight of the Union's industri industrial capabilities and just sheer manpower was able to to win the day, thankfully, because we wanted to preserve the Union and we wanted to eradicate slavery. But speaking of slavery, this has been tossed uh, at Robert E. Lee, uh, this slavery notion. It, it's not just that he fought for the Confederacy, which unlike Nikki Haley has asserted, wanted slavery, and that was really the primary driving factor behind the the cause of the Civil War. Uh, but this accusation has been thrown at Robert E. Lee, which necessitated, obviously, from a BLM standpoint, the removal of his statue from Charlottesville. So I actually did a little bit of research on, on Robert E. Lee and, and was able to go and find this at the National Park Service. It's sort of a, an analysis on Robert E. Lee and slavery. Uh, and I'll, I'll pull this article up. And this is a couple of excerpts about his life. So in, in 1831, he married a woman named Mary Anna Custis, and she was a daughter of George Washington Park Custis, and he was a large slaveholder. He owned more than 100 enslaved people at three different plantations, but that didn't mean that Robert E. Lee actually owned them. About 15 years later, he prepared to join the U.S. Army to fight in the Mexican War, and he made a will out, and he said uh, that uh, one particular slave family and her children at the one of the plantations who he had at that point inherited uh, and, and owned, he said, were to these these slaves were to be liberated so soon as it can be done to their advantage and that of others in the event of his death, because there was a, a whole push at that point in the state of Virginia that it was actually illegal to free your slaves while you were alive. And then another one about a decade after that, 1856, he wrote his views on the institution of slavery to his wife. He described it as a moral and political evil. I don't know. I mean, it seems like he owned, he had a conflicting history. He did own people, which is morally abhorrent, uh, but seemed to be expressing sentiments that were the other way. And, and uh, I think it's pretty well known in, in historical record that Robert E. Lee essentially joined the Confederacy because of uh, states' rights and pride in, in being a Virginian. And he didn't want to be fighting on behalf of the United States against his fellow statesmen because he sort of viewed the Republic at that point as a union of multiple states rather than one entire country. And that was that was sort of his mindset. Uh, so does he deserve to have his statue removed? Should we be removing a statue? I would say no. I mean, it, it obviously going to a monument for Robert E. Lee might generate a conversation about this was a guy who had some conflicting history. He, he obviously owned slaves and he said some things to the contrary. And without a doubt, you, you can't write the history of the civil war without Robert E. Lee and erasing him from history is a terrible mistake. Um, and then the question that we'll finally conclude with is what is the actual motivation for wanting to do that? We'll come off of Robert E. Lee, who's obviously most known for fighting against the United States. How about someone who's uh, best known for forming the United States? And that would be our third president, Thomas Jefferson. And uh, there was a statue removed from City Hall in New York City about 
two years ago, maybe a little bit over two years ago, they, the city hall wanted to remove him because he was a slaveholder. Um, and, and there was a, a debate about actually making it public. They wanted to do it sort of at, at nighttime and do it in, in the cover of night to avoid the scrutiny. Uh, wound up losing that battle and it became public and the New York Post wrote a story about it. And I wish I'll bring up and, and, uh, and read a little excerpt from. Art Handlers packed up an 884-pound statue of Jefferson in a wooden crate Monday after a mayoral commission voted to banish the likeness of the nation's third president from City Hall, where it's resided for nearly two centuries because he owned slaves. Again, Thomas Jefferson has a very conflicting history. I mean, this is a man who wrote that all men are created equal and at the same time owned, I think, somewhere in the area of 600 slaves at the same time. And then I think it's also been documented that, like Lee, he was endeavoring to free those slaves at a certain point. But we're going to remove him after 200 years of sitting in City Hall. And, it, and it's not like it's an easy one guy can pick it up. It's 884 pound statue. It's obviously going to require a lot of resources and time. And this is a city that now currently can't seem to find housing for illegal aliens. They're actually shutting down schools to use those facilities to house illegals. So these are the people who have been elected to positions of authority and they are wasting their time and attention removing a statue that they're arguing offends them, offends their sensibilities. Well, why are we removing Thomas Jefferson? We're not going to discuss, if we can't discuss Jefferson, we obviously can't discuss things like the Declaration of Independence, which I covered down on extensively uh, recently in, a, in uh, two podcasts ago where we were talking about the usurpations. Thomas Jefferson authored that document, and he had a significant impact on the formulation of our country. Why are we wanting to remove it? He Again, we no, no man is perfect, and if you're going to focus on his faults rather than uh, solely focus on his faults, uh, rather than paint a mosaic where it presents the, the merits and the demerits together, uh, and especially in a historical context, I think that that is the conversation that needs to be had rather than we just need to eliminate it entirely from our from our view because it offends our our sensibilities. Go to one more here before we get to, to Mr. Penn. Uh, and uh, again, another conflicting person uh, politically, uh, and again from New York. This is New York City's Natural History Museum, which removed a, a Teddy Roosevelt statue because they felt that uh, it was it was offensive. Um, it was a bronze statue, and, and it was named the Equestrian Statue of Theodore Roosevelt, and has towered outside the museum's entrance for 80 years, became a source of local and national debate in recent years. Teddy Roosevelt actually started the progressive movement, and he was fond of an idea of eugenics, so obviously conflicting guy. But he was also, if, if you look at some of the things that he said, I mean, the pull yourself up by, by your bootstraps type of guy, swashbuckling. He he led uh, the, it's the battle at San Juan Hill and and was a was a war hero. Was willing to put himself out there when he was on the campaign trail, uh, doing a stump speech. An assassin actually shot him, and instead of going to the hospital, he said, "No, I'm going to finish my speech first. So obviously a really tough guy, uh, and I think that you you can't argue again that the the 20th century, uh, the the way that the direction that the country went was he was a significant impact on that uh, and then and then also i think it's worth bringing up uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes it's often quoted but uh, i direct everyone into the, the the reading of the declaration 
a couple episodes ago. I would direct you to to YouTube to watch this video if you want to just get jacked up. I know we like the intro video for the AMRAD podcast. If if you happen to be watching us on Rumble, uh, before we start, there's a, there's a, a cool montage with some, some excellent music, and it's, it shows uh, Rocky Balboa running with Apollo Creed on the beach, and everybody says that they they really enjoy that and get some pumped up. Uh, this is another one that I, I just want to, just because it makes me happy and, and it's a Saturday. And I think that uh, we could all use a little palate cleanse after learning about Thomas Jefferson and Robert E. Lee and, and Teddy Roosevelt being dishonored in such a horrible fashion. Uh, we'll give this a play about the man in the arena. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. There are many men who feel a kind of twisted pride and cynicism. There are many who confine themselves to criticism of the way others do what they themselves dare not even attempt. There is no more unhealthy being, no man less worthy of respect, than he who either really holds or feigns to hold an attitude of sneering disbelief toward all that is great and lofty, whether in achievement or in that noble effort which, even if it fails, comes to second achievement. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That, my friends, is an excellent quote from a very quotable man, Teddy Roosevelt. And I think that removing his memory, his his memorial, his statue would deprive someone of actually learning about him and learning that he uttered a phrase like that, which, I mean, that's up there with like a Newt Rockney speech, right? That'll get you running through a wall. I think it's it's absolutely a, a terrific sentiment, and uh, it's something that I think is worth a discussion. And scars and all, Teddy Roosevelt is there's a reason that he his likeness is engraved on Mount Rushmore. It's because he left an indelible mark on the country as a man, as a leader, as a president, and, uh, and he does not deserve to be erased from history or hidden from history. So that's sort of the background for how this trend has been going on, where we're eliminating people. And I didn't even touch on the George Washington 
church, the church that removed his his memorial to. Uh, he owned a pew inside the Christ Church in Alexandria. Certainly, our first president deserve, deserves to be remembered. And then that that logically leads to well, obviously, the people that are pushing this feel that we exist today in a world that's perfected itself. We don't need these people of the history. We, we are not standing on the shoulders of giants. We weren't born on third base and thinking we hit a triple. No, we, we have perfected ourselves. So for those people that share that sentiment and want to eliminate statues and, and the memory of these people, you know, I hope you don't have an Amazon account. I hope you don't have Amazon Prime because I believe Jeff Bezos had a very public marital infidelity where he was sending crotch shots to his neighbor. That's certainly not a perfect man. I hope you're not using that as a tool or a resource. I hope you don't use Microsoft. I mean, Bill Gates, I think everybody in the chat will agree, is a pretty evil dude. But he stepped out on his wife. He's been linked to Jeffrey Epstein and Epstein Island. I hope you're not using Microsoft Word when you type up your your documents to then submit to the Guardian to write these hit pieces about how it's really important that we eliminate Robert E. Lee's statue. I hope nobody who feels that we need to do this drove on an interstate highway. I mean, who's responsible for that? Dwight Eisenhower. I mean, the man led our military effort in World War II to secure the world, to protect us from the Nazis and uh, also had a aide that he had traveling around them who had an affair with the entire war. That's, that's a man who is not perfect. And he was responsible for implementing the interstate highway system. I wouldn't want you to sully yourself by driving on I-95 down the East Coast. How about another one? LBJ, the Great Society, out and out racist. I found a quote from LBJ. According to uh, Carol, Robert Parker Johnson's sometimes chauffeur described in his memoir, and this is a memoir, it's entitled Capitol Hill in Black and White, a moment when President Johnson asked him whether he preferred to be referred, if he preferred to be referred to by his name rather than boy, N-word, or chief. When he said that he would, Johnson grew angry and said, as long as you are black, you're going to be black till the day you die. No one's going to call you by your GD name. So no matter what you're called, N-word, you just let it roll off your back like water and you'll make it. Just pretend you're a GD piece of furniture. What did LBG, LBJ, what is responsible for? I mean, I, I don't think the Great Society was a good thing, but if you hope you never have to use Medicaid, but a lot of people are aging up to Medicare. That was part of the Great Society. The Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, all under the LBJ administration. So maybe we should do away with civil rights because LBJ was an out-and-out -out racist. Enough of the, uh, can you imagine if the shoe was on the other foot, enough of the tit-for-tat. Let's get into the reason for the show. Um, and before we transition, I do want to make sure that uh, I plug Garrett. He's not here today, but we should definitely remind everyone to go and visit the-suspendables.com. Uh, he's up 
he, he can probably print some shirts even though he's snowed in and uh, he's going to have some time on his hands. So folks, if you are inclined, make sure you visit the website, buy some uh, some t-shirts, buy some some sweatshirts. Let's get all the inventory bought up so that he can get creative with us at this point and come up with some new merch. I know that uh, he's was buried in orders, but he got back after uh, trying to travel to Washington, D.C. and uh, has gotten caught up. He said he's gotten really familiar with the with the mailing service that's near him because you folks have done such a great job of of buying everything up. And the plan right now, from what I understand, is to use up the existing inventory and then bring in some new and ideas and we can get some new merch out there to you all because you guys have just been fantastic and supportive. So uh, go to www.the-suspendables and get a copy of your merch as we now transition. And we are transitioning here on the American Radicals podcast on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. You can watch us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter slash X. My handle is at real Steve friend. You can follow Garrett at G O B actual. You can follow the podcast at amradpod. It streams there, but if you happen to be streaming on Twitter, you should come on over to rumble where the chat is lively. Folks are being awesome in there. They were talking about children and educating children uh, before the show. And I thought that that was serendipitous because that is my plan today is to actually go back down and do a real history lesson on Mr. William Penn. And to set us up, I will talk about this news story where the National Park Service under the Biden administration proposed removing a William Penn statue from Philadelphia Park. Pull it up. So according to this article, the National Park Service proposed a removal of the Penn statue and the slate roof house as part of a plan to, quote, rehabilitate Welcome Park to provide a more welcoming, accurate, and inclusive experience for visitors. The National Park Service says the proposal includes an expanded interpretation of Native American history of Philadelphia and was developed in consultation with, with representatives of the indigenous nations of several of the, of the tribes uh, who I would have a hard time pronouncing. And... Uh, there was some pushback, though, fortunately, which which was a good thing. And that led to uh, another story that I will pull up before we actually get into our history lesson. And this is about uh, the Biden administrative agency reverses course and will not tear down the William Penn statue. There was enough pushback, fortunately, folks. The original plan to remove the statue in order to create a more welcoming, accurate, and inclusive experience for visitors was widely panned and ridiculed. Critics noted that the reversal of the decision could indicate a sea change in the government's willingness to pursue controversial, quote, diversity initiatives at the expense of America's cultural heritage. So let's talk about that cultural heritage, because I do think that, uh, you know, everybody has scars in their history, um, some worse than others, some more public than others. But you would really struggle to find something wrong with the generally known history of William Penn, who essentially founded the colony and eventually the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, he's not covered enough in our history. My my kids go to a, a, a nice school that follows the Abeka homeschool curriculum. And I was, I'm the history nerd in the family. So when it comes time for history homework and help with history homework, it's dad's turn to step in. And last year, my son was in third grade. There was quite a bit of coverage of William Penn. And I was relieved because he is a hero who needs to be remembered properly. And I was trying to find a good history to, to provide to you folks uh, who are not third graders. 
But then I went back and thought, no, we need to go back to third grade because I want to arm you all with the information that you can bring to people like the professor from the University of Virginia who wants to eliminate everyone so she can go back to her BLM chapter and say, look what I did. I've erased American history because we're going to go into the basics and we're going to actually explain to you who this man was, what was his makeup, what was his character, what were the sacrifices he was willing to make. And I will actually have uh, I, I, some clips from a 1941 film to best sort of market here. So we are now about halfway in the show, about a half hour in. If you want to provide this show, uh, provide this as a memorialization of a history of William Penn, uh, come to the halfway point. We'll pull up clips. The, the film is called Penn of Pennsylvania, and it was filmed in 1941, so don't expect any special effects. It was uh, it was really heavy on the history. Uh, so we'll play some clips from there, and then we will cover some of the curriculum at the same time that is from a third grade curriculum so that you can dumb it down enough for University of Virginia professors to understand who this guy actually was. Um, the, the, the literature that I'm bringing up here again is third grade curriculum. It's from the child's book of American biography. Uh, it's pretty extensive. I pulled out some excerpts. I will read them and then show you some, some video clips so that we can properly memorialize one of the greatest heroes in the history of the country. First one. When Charles II was King of England, there lived in London a wealthy admiral of the British Navy, Sir William Penn. He had been such a brave sailor that he was a favorite at the court. He had a son who was a handsome, merry lad whom he meant to educate very highly, for he knew the king would find some great place for him in his kingdom. So young William was sent early to school and college where he learned Greek and Latin, French, German, and Dutch. He was quick, motioned, and strong, etc., etc. He winds up, uh, he was good in school. He was a great athlete just kind of a jack of all trades, kind of the stud sort of guy you would ex uh, expect to be a leader. But then William started to look into becoming a Quaker. Now, what is a Quaker? Which is going to lead us to our first video clip. And, and what was the perception of Quakers at that point in the United Kingdom? Here's a clip. There is a faith which overcomes the world, and there is a faith which is overcome by the world. But first we must realize that all men are born free. Free? I'm not. I wish I was. In the eyes of God, we are all equal. I don't believe it. I'm not your equal. I know the gentleman when I see one. And I won't be made fun of at my time of life. Why, you ought to be ashamed of yourself making fun of an old man. Oh, I'm not making fun of you. You can think what you like. Just as we all have a right to a conscience. The wicked should be burned. Oh, come, come, come. That's a poor way of convincing anyone. Isn't it? You always keep that hat on. Yes. Except when we pray. You go to bed in it? <laughs> no, not often. Why do Quakers wear their hats? Yes, tell us why. Partly because we believe that we should not do anything that does not correspond with the feelings of our hearts. And partly to keep our heads warm. So that's uh, William Penn addressing the crowd. Uh, and what folks need to understand about it 
being a Quaker at that time in England. And reading again from this third grade curriculum. In England, Quakers were treated like criminals. Some of them were put to death. But the more they were abused, the more their faith became known and the more followers they had. A traveling Quaker preacher went to Oxford, which was the university that William Penn attended. And when young William Penn heard him, he decided that he had found a religion that suited him. He stopped going to college services, declared he would not wear the college gown, and even tore the gowns from other students. He was expelled. The admiral was very angry, his father. He told his son he had disgraced him, but he knew William had a strong will, and instead of having many harsh words with him, sent his son off to Paris. I flatter myself, laughed the admiral, that in gay, fashionable Paris, William will soon forget his foolish ideas about Quakers. And again, we're reading again from a third grade curriculum, the child's book of American history. So obviously the, the language is, is a little bit, a uh, little bit juvenile, but I think even a university professor from Virginia and BLM activist co-founder could probably understand this. And that'll bring us to our second clip from the same movie that, which is filmed in 1941, Penn of Pennsylvania. And this is an interaction between William Penn and his father as they're discussing his uh, his plans to essentially give up his birthright. His father was so well-respected, as we'll actually get into, by the King of England that the expectation that he was going to ascend into some form of aristocracy and be a part of the bourgeoisie within uh, English culture. Uh, but instead, this guy was given that all away because he believed in the tenets of being a Quaker. Here we are. And gratitude. Have you no gratitude, sir? Yes, I'm grateful to God. Grateful to God, yes, but what about me? Didn't I do anything for you? Haven't I taken immense pains? Yes, immense pains to fit you for a high position in life? You did it out of your own free will, and free will is all I ask. Don't try to impress me with your highfalutin language. I may be a plain soldier, but I can hold my own with any man. That's why you're an admiral. And proud of it, sir. I'm proud of it too, Father. I could wish you were. Well, fear me, you have no pride. If you had, you would not want to throw away the chance of a career and cutting a fine figure at the court. To the Quakers, all that is sure end. Now look here, William. Let's look at this matter quite plainly. Here are you, a cultured, traveled, educated gentleman with great opportunities ahead of you in the service of your country. And you want to give it all up to associate with a low, common rabble who under the cover of religion are undermining all peace and order in the state. All I can say, Father, is that the Quakers stand for righteousness and purity. You don't know what you're talking about. Purity. Why, well, George, I didn't know the meaning of it. But, Demi, it's not healthy. I'm brothers. How can all men be brothers? But, Father, it says in the Bible Ach, that we must Bible, all... You're just an argumentative, obstinate fool. You don't know how fortunate you are living in the lap of luxury. Now, I make you a good allowance. Yes, far too good. Very well. Now, you have to make a choice. If you want to associate with your crazy mob, you'll have to leave my house. I shall disinherit you and have nothing more to do with you. Now, make your choice. I have made my choice. You're determined to become a Quaker? Yes. Quite determined. So that scene sort of depicting his willingness to step away from the his birthright at that point. And look, I'm, I'm not an advocate for becoming a Quaker or anything, but uh, I, I think that his 
fortitude and his willingness to, to do that is something that's noteworthy. And, and certainly as being a Quaker and then the tenets of it, as we'll, we'll come to find out, uh, he wasn't somebody who was about enslaving others. He wasn't about mistreating others. He was about worshiping in the way that he saw fit. And in that vein, we will read about uh, his experience in Paris. This is, again, from a third-grade curriculum. The young people of Paris made friends with William at once, for he was handsome and jolly. He was 18 years old. He had large eyes, long, dark hair, which fell curls about his shoulders. For a time, he entered into all... He, he winds up kind of falling astray. He was having too good of a time in Paris, as many people do. They sowed their wild oats. Um, but eventually, he... Uh, he comes back and there was some kind of riot or war in Ireland when he was, was uh, sort of deployed there on behalf of his, of his parents. And William fought in the thickest of it, for he liked to be in the midst of whatever was going on. One evening, he heard that the old Quaker preacher that he had liked at Oxford was preaching nearby. He, with some other soldiers, went to hear him and all his love for the Quaker faith came back to him and he joined the society. He was imprisoned with other Quakers, and then his father said he would never speak to him again. But he really loved his son and was so pleased when he got out of prison that he agreed to forgive him. If he would only promise to take off his hat when he met his father, the king, or the Duke of York. But after young William had thought about it, he told his father that he could not make such a promise because that, again, was a tenet. He were refused to remove your hat. It was a, it was a sign that uh, you, there was only one deity, only one source in which he was willing to do it. Uh, and it was for no man, including the king, who, if you lived in English society, the belief was that it, he was a, a king because he was chosen by God. So again, it was pushing back on on the uh, on the way that individuals worshipped within England, which sort of made him ostracized, which is why the, the British viewed Quakers as sort of a, as a criminal. And eventually, one of his many arrests uh, that this next clip will show where he pushes back on the magistrate who is try trying to imprison him for his religious beliefs. Uh, there was no First Amendment in British society at that point. So he was es essentially engaging in criminal activity because uh, he didn't want to follow what the, the Crown's beliefs were about religion. And we will play that clip. After all, the question is not whether I'm guilty of the indictment whether the indictment be legal. But the new act of Parliament... The new act had nothing to do with the meeting I was conducting. You're an impertinent fellow. Would you teach the court law? The act is not valid in law. If the Lord Coke in his institutes, volume 2, page 56, be of any weight, common law is common right. And common right is the great charter privilege confirmed by Henry III. And in that charter it says that every Englishman can... Take him away! Take him away! The law. If you do not take some course to stop this imprisonment fellow's mouth, we, 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 we shall not do anything all day. Very well, take him away. Turn him into the bail dock. This is a ridiculous charge. Is this justice or judgment? I am not to be silent in a case where I am so vitally concerned. And not only myself, but many 10,000 families behind. So there you see sort of the kangaroo court that he was confronting uh, from the British society. And again, Becoming a Quaker in that society was going to mean that he was going to face this throughout his life and had given up his opportunity to enter into high society. And at that point, started to look 
abroad? What could he do to escape the the chains of the society and, and seek something new, seek a place where he could pursue happiness, pursue the, the route he wanted to go to, to worship the way he saw fit, uh, which will take us to our next clip. And again, this is from Penn of Pennsylvania. It's a film in 1941, which is pretty good, a reflection of the curriculum that we are talking about today, a third grade curriculum. Um, and I, I appreciate your patience with this, folks. I, I think that this is an important issue that we really need to, to get a grasp of and get our arms around and understand. Uh, if the pressure that we're having to erase certain parts of our history comes to bear, we're going to lose out on finding um, about learning about people like William Penn, who, from what, you, what we're going to cover and what we're going to show, uh, had a pretty uh, laudable life and, and a list of accomplishments that does not deserve to be erased from history. Certainly, the National Park Service should not be arguing to remove his likeness from a Philadelphia park because it doesn't adequately, I don't know, honor Native American society. As you'll see, he was actually a uh, a good resource and an ally to Native Americans at that point in the in the American continent. Uh, we'll move to a second clip here as William Penn is deciding that he needs to cross an ocean. You want to talk about bravery at this point? Um, and there's no guarantee of of survival. You're going to show up in a wooded land and have nothing. It's, there's no infrastructure. There's no indoor plumbing. There's no uh, grocery store that you can go to, you're going to get off that boat. If you happen to arrive, you don't get taken out by a hurricane where you're crossing the Atlantic and you're going to have to pull yourself by your own bootstraps and forge your own society. So here's his decision to eventually look to America. You've got to go to America. Yes, Julia, right. It's the answer to all our problems. America. Sorry about that. I am trying to juggle multiple things here. I was visually, for folks watching us on Rumble, was on the other clip, but at least you got the audio portion there. It's a, it's William Penn having a conversation with his then bride, uh, and they married. They had a child shortly thereafter, and it was his decision that he actually was leaving his wife and child to uh, to to take on this mission, and. And that you want to talk, you know that's that's a sacrifice that he was willing to make because he he deemed it obviously to be worth their time and 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 worth pursuing because he wanted to have religious freedom. We'll go back to reading from this curriculum and set up the next video clip. And uh, it says, when William's father died, eventually the admiral does die. He left his son great wealth, which he used for the good of others, especially the Quakers. William knew the crown which the king owed his father nearly $100,000, which even now in Biden inflation is quite a, quite a lot of money. 
As the king was something of a spendthrift, it was not likely that the debt would be paid very soon. So William asked the king to pay him in land. This the monarch was glad to do. So he granted an immense tract of land on the Delaware River in America to William Penn. And this is a, a depiction now of uh, William Penn's interaction with the King of England. This was his access. He could get an audience with the king that easily and uh, still was willing to forego that because he wanted to go to a woodland in North America and try to start his own his own society. You mean you want to buy land in America? Whatever for? Here in England, the persecution of my brother Quakers is intensified every day. I have no hand in that. You tolerate it. But if you gave us land in the new world, we could go there and start a new life. We would treat the Indians with others and gain their friendship by a kind, just, peaceable communities and build great cities and be free to worship God in our own way. Here we go hand, and there we could work and prosper and build up a state which would be a pattern of the world. Isn't it an experiment worth trying? A holy experiment? So this is him making the case to the king that he he sell me that land. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go and uh, and start my own thing, and it will alleviate the debt that you have incurred to my father. And the king's going to eventually say this is win-win for me, uh, and he's going to authorize it. And then uh, you know it's very it's very Disneyified before the the pre woke Disney, uh, very G rated here. Um, but the king it was supportive of this and said that's okay. You can have this tract of land, and it becomes an issue of honor. What are you going to name? this land this tract of land on the delaware river in north america when you take it over we have to give it a name and there's obviously a uh, a pressure a societal pressure well i'm going to name it after you king because you're, you're giving me this uh, but the king wasn't having that which is why if we read uh, william planned to call this tract sylvania which translated to woodland but when king charles heard this he said one thing i insist on your grant must be called after your father for I had a great love for the brave admirable admiral. Thus, the name decided on was Pennsylvania, which roughly translates to Penn's Woods. Well, I hadn't thought of it. Perhaps we can call it after your majesty. Oh no, there are already two colonies named after me, North Carolina and South Carolina. Well, it's a leafy wooded country, perhaps. Sylvania. Hmm. Oh, why not? Pennsylvania. So the next part of this film is actually him uh, having a conversation with his wife about his plans to go uh, and establish Pennsylvania as a colony. Uh, we'll get into what now what went on, what transpired when he went across the ocean to start his new society. William Penn lost no time in sending word to all Quakers in England that in America they could find a home and on his land be free from persecution. As many of, as many as 3,000 of them sailed at once for America, and the next year William visited his new possessions. He did not know just how the tract might please him, so he left his wife and child behind in England. He laid out a city himself on the Delaware River and called the city Brotherly Love. That's Philadelphia. 
because he hoped there would be much love and harmony in the colony of Quakers. The other name for the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia. If you visit the city today, you will find many of its streets bearing the names William Penn gave them more than 200 years ago. Some of these are pine, mulberry, cedar, walnut, and chestnut streets. And Philadelphia in the, uh, in the history of the United States is a tremendously impactful location. It's obviously where the Continental Congress was convened. It was where we drafted the uh, drafted the Constitution. It was the first capital. And uh, it has an indelible mark on our history. And it's a result of this man, William Penn's formation. He actually was like a, an architect, a city manager. He developed and, and plotted out where it was going to be, where significant areas of the city were going to be, where the roads were going to be. Uh, back to the curriculum, of course, and this is where, where we get into his interactions with the Native Americans that were on the, the Delaware River. There were several tribes there, quoting from the third grade curriculum. Of course, Indians were to be found along all the rivers of the American colonies. Penn really owned the land along the Delaware, but he thought it would be better to pay them for it as he had held it so many years. So he called a council under a big tree where he shook hands with the red men and said he was of the same blood and flesh as they, and he gave them knives, beads, kettles, axes, and various things for their land. The Indians were pleased and vowed they would live in love with William Penn as long as the moon and sun should shine. This treaty was never broken. And one of the finest things to remember about William Penn is his honesty with the much persecuted Indians. Here's a clip from the film to demonstrate that. to you and other dirty redskins that this is a white man's country. Keith! What do you think you're doing? Untie that man. He killed one of our outpost men. We found him scalped with an arrow through his neck. These Indians must be taught a lesson, Mr. Payne. But that's not the way to teach them. They've been tortured and massacred too long. They've lost faith. This Indian must be sent back to his tribe. That's no good. We've tried kindness. It won't work. Won't it? No. All right, boys, sing them up. John, stop that axe. You heard Mr. Penn's orders? I'm not taking any orders from Mr. Penn. All right, you've asked for it. I had to do it, Cockle. You know, he might have killed a man. All right, boys. On time. So a little bit hokey, but uh, this sort of shows how he was obviously pushing back against... Uh, other other people that he were they were living there that had a negative view of the Native Americans even amongst his own group and uh, and we'll take it one more clip from this film which shows this this uh, this tree the formation where they were going to live in peace together and and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here so here's the final clip from this pen of Pennsylvania it was 1941 uh, and uh, here's our final clip Great Spirit who made me and you, who rules the heavens and the earth and knows the innermost thoughts of man, knows that I and my friends have a hearty desire to live in peace and friendship with you. It is not our custom to use hostile weapons against our fellow creatures. 
for which reason we have come unarmed. We are met on the broad pathway of good faith and goodwill, so that no advantage is to be taken on either side, but all is to be openness. All right, so that's the final clip of this particular film. And, uh, and, and it's not going to conclude our discussion here. I want to make sure we wrap it up with the, the proper, put, put the put the exclamation point, the, the period on this sentence that we've been going over for the last uh, 30 minutes or so. Um, I would encourage you all uh, who are, are with us on the podcast or on, on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. You happen to be watching us on, on X at Real Steve Friend, at GOB Actual, at amradpod. Uh, actually you can watch this movie it's a it's not too long I and mean, they didn't make movies that were the the three hour length at that point this movie is only about an hour and 15 minutes long you can find it on youtube for now uh but i think i, I pulled out some significant clips we did it here in the latter half of the podcast where i think to really put an exclamation point on uh and what happened and then i also want to finish up uh, with our curriculum here penn left the quaker colony after a while and went back to england but he returned many years later with his wife and daughter he had two fine homes one in the city of Philadelphia, the other in the country. At the country home, there was a large dining hall, and in it, Penn entertained strangers and people of every color and race. At one of his generous feasts, his guests ate 100 roast turkeys. Penn, who was so gentle and loving to all the world, had many troubles of his own. One son was wild and gave him much anxiety. He himself was suspected of being too friendly with the papist King James and of refusing to pay his bills. For one thing and another, he was cast into prison until he lost his health from the cold, dark cells. It seems strange that the rich, honest William Penn should, from boyhood, be doomed to imprison, imprisonment because of his religion, his loyalty, and from trying to obey the voice of his conscience. While he was not born in this country, the piety and honesty of William Penn will always be remembered in America. Will it? Will we continue to remember William Penn and his contributions to the formation. I mean, I, he set the groundwork for a First Amendment in this country for freedom of worship. That's that could be argued to be his greatest impact. Set aside his fortitude and his bravery and his willingness to to risk it all uh, and and to go out sort of as a swashbuckling guy and and, and bravery, and then seeing all people as being equal. Uh, he laid the groundwork for a freedom of worship, which uh, last time I checked, while it's still in effect, uh, the First Amendment, the first part of that, and the First Amendment has five particular rights, uh, it's freedom of worship. And we can tie that directly to William Penn, his contributions, uh, and and the stage that he set. And then the question then becomes, are we going to remember him? And, and why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to, uh, to Robert E. Lee? To George Washington, to Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, what have you, all these, all these figures. Uh, we saw Abraham Lincoln, same thing. It's not because of these people's shortcomings or their faults, their sins, their flaws. It's because of their merit, because of their good deeds, the contributions that they had to the country, to our nation, to our founding to their propriety. The other side is hoping that you will forget your history. 
they're hoping that the mark that is made by your erasable pen can be erased. We have to continue to look back at these people. We have to make sure that we remember what they did to make sure that it is permanently etched, not in ink pen, but etched into stone so that we can always remember what our principles are, what our flaws were. We can always course correct. George Washington said very early that they wanted to raise a standard for which the wise could repair. They wanted to set the standard high, but had an expectation that we would improve upon that, that we would take their their best practices and, and take their mistakes all as, as a full mosaic and then apply it to the way we want to carry forward as a country, as a society, and improve on that. That's all they really hope for. And uh, I hope that I've gotten that across today. I hope that you will continue to, to learn about your history and be an evangelist for our history because we're right now in a place that too many people are not getting the third grade education that, that my kids are getting. So uh, folks, I would really appreciate if you would share this with, uh, with your right-wing friends, with your left-wing friends, with everybody. This is not a, a partisan thing. This is a historical thing. And uh, I, love, I love our history. I'm a student of it. Uh, I'm, and William Penn is certainly a, a significant and prominent figure in American history. Uh, as we close it out here, I do want to make sure that I recognize uh, the chat here today, guys. Uh, there were some some rumble rants that uh, you're far too generous with me, even for, far too complimentary. I am not a history professor. I relied too heavily, I think, on a 1941 film. Uh, and I'll give you a, a parting film, actually, if you want to distill it down to a couple minutes, if you don't want to sit through the hokiness of that black and white one. Uh, I did appreciate it, though. But uh, Rumble Rants, K9 Heinrich, God bless you and your family, Steve. Well, God bless you. And, and thank you for being with us today on a Saturday here on the American Radicals podcast. Uh, Tizibit, I think, uh, left us one, as well as Kelly D. Uh, Tizibit said, Steve should teach weekly history lessons. Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, 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 loved, I love reading history. I, uh, spoiler alert, my, my favorite president is uh, William Henry Harrison uh, because he died so quickly that he didn't do any damage. So that's how you know. And then uh, Kelly D, I agree with Tizibis D, we need another podcast teaching history. Well, I, I could probably cover William Henry Harrison. It was too brief. I could probably knock that out in about five minutes. So uh, thanks again, folks, though, for being here with us. And while you're here, make sure to remember to give us a thumbs up. Uh, we're going to see you back next week. we got a couple of interviews lined up. Uh, and with some some interesting journalists that we want to bring you their stories that they've covered, and we're going to be discussing those. And uh, I hope for the rest of you that you enjoy your weekend. Thanks for making uh, the American Radicals podcast part of your day. Uh, we really appreciate your time and your support along the way. And uh, we will see you next time. You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.